When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, I've been hanging out with talking to and absorbing a lot of ideas from my friends in the reef keeping community lately. As you've noticed, that sort of influenced my thinking again. I mean, it never really left, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, not just because I'm playing with the reef tank again, but just because I, I'm going back on my old experiences and realizing there's some interesting stuff there. And it's gotten me to think through a lot of the approaches and the ideas that I've had in my head about aquarium management over the years. There's this thing that keeps coming up about simplicity and its role in creating and managing successful aquariums uh, over the long term. And that never seems to leave. One of the interesting things that we see discussed a lot in the aquarium hobby is this idea of a balanced aquarium. This is hardly a new concept, but it's interesting to think about in the context of simplicity and in modern approaches to aquarium keeping. The balanced aquarium idea was really the first sort of application of the aquarium as a microcosm concept. Back in the Victorian era, the balanced aquarium was viewed as a system in which plants and fish could live for years in the same water as long as the ratio of plants and fish were balanced. It seems to make sense, but no water exchanges? I know. I know hobbyists have taken this approach in all types of tanks for decades with shockingly successful outcomes, unfortunately, but it never sat well with me. Um, I just fail to see what the point is besides our human interests over all else. And it seems as though it's always discussed in the same breath as the, you know, balanced aquarium shit. (laughs) In my humble opinion, the whole idea of no water exchanges is in my opinion, again, in my opinion, an absurd exercise in laziness. <laughs> like why? Other than not having to spend time on doing water exchanges, like, but again, in my opinion, I think that's the easiest part of aquarium maintenance. What's the point? If it's, you know, to stick the middle finger to the hobby establishment, to the man, you know, whatever, there's better ways, trust me. No water exchanges. Eventually I feel that such a laissez-faire attitude will come back to bite you on the ass. So that part of the equation, if you will, is a big no, in my opinion. Boy, I'm using that term a lot today, aren't I? That's probably my, my safe word here. And of course, love to couch this whole uh, balanced aquarium thing under the veil of how it embraces simplicity and some sort of natural approach to the balanced aquarium. And I just, I call bullshit. It's simplicity for sure, but let's call it what it really is, an abandonment of our responsibility as aquarists. Yeah, simplicity and laziness can be, should be mutually exclusive. It requires more context within the framework of a balanced aquarium idea. And why do we dislike water changes so much? Is it the perceived shared drudgery of water exchanges, the manual labor, the potential for spills, some sort of desire to just focus on other more interesting aspects of the aquarium? I don't know. Over the years in both my writings and practices and lectures and stuff, I've thought of ways to represent water exchanges as one of the joys of aquarium keeping. 
you know, with stuff like you're diluting some excess dissolved organics in your tank when you do a water exchange or, you know, how water exchanges simulate natural rain and influxes of uh, water and wild habitats or even like, you know, water exchanges allow you to regularly interact in a you know really intimate way with your aquarium, blah, blah, blah. Like I could put a positive spin on this stuff, but the bottom line is that aquarists almost universally seem to hate them. And accept them as sort of a necessary evil and spend lots of time and money and effort on ways to make them easier or to even just eliminate them altogether. Now, again, this is rather curious. Hobbyists who play in specialty fields like discus breeding, you know, so-called high-tech planted tanks, most reefers and our botanical-style aquarium crowd seem to embrace water exchanges as just part of the game. Like, you'll typically not see tremendous efforts to circumvent them being made, at least not publicly, now, we've probably reconciled, particularly as botanical-style aquarium people, that water exchanges have a huge value to what you, you know, what we do, and they're simply part of the game. And further, I can't help but think that the idea of water exchanges can simply be viewed with a different mindset, really looking to nature and attempting to view them as more or less a simulation of how natural systems work. I think it's really that simple. And this is really the only intervention that we typically ask you to make in our relatively simple approach, just exchanging some water regularly. If you embrace the botanical style aquarium idea and like it for the simulation of nature part, then it goes without saying that the water exchanges that we execute further represent this. And it becomes a lot easier to stomach the idea of, you know, siphon hoses and lugging around buckets of water and then the occasional spill. This should be part of this whole balanced aquarium idea, or maybe we should just toss the whole term from our hobby lexicon altogether. Well, actually, the point of this whole talk today is not to rehash this well-trodden, you know, idea. It's to discuss the idea of running a botanical-style aquarium in a more simple manner. But but one more thing. there There is part of the balanced aquarium idea that I, that I can kind of get on board with. The, the classic uh, balanced aquarium relied on a lot of surface area. So it's the idea that the aquarium should provide a significant amount of surface area. In a perfect world, the width of the aquarium should be equal to and the length double at least of the depth to provide a surface area adequate for gas exchange to take place in a pretty efficient manner. It's like gas exchange, yeah. I think that's applicable to almost any type of aquarium, really, a reef tank, planet tank, whatever. Okay, let me just cut to the chase. The, the whole idea behind this little rant today I think that the botanical style aquarium can be run with a minimum amount of technical gear, uh, minimal intervention, and with very simple maintenance practices. I think you need that aforementioned gas exchange facilitated by an aquarium with sufficient surface area. That's a given. You probably want some water movement and maybe just a bit of surface agitation. I think you could facilitate the water movement and surface agitation with something like a little surface skimmer like the ones that are made by Eheim, Ultum, and Azu, just to name a few. There's plenty of them on the market. These are super cool little devices, and they, they help remove that surface film caused by your organic protein layer, and that facilitates gas exchange. As a plus, the return from these skimmers provides a little bit of water movement. I've been playing with um, an ADA-60F. That's a 24 by 12 by 7-inch aquarium at 60 by 30 by 18 centimeters. And it's about, uh, I think it's 8.6 gallons in capacity. And I've been running it solely with one of these devices. And it, it works just great. Um, in my previous iteration, which is now infamous to you guys, was that leaf litter only uh, green neon tetra tank, which just had a layer of leaf litter and a skimmer. And that was it. And it ran for well over a year like this with incredible success. Now, short of not having any device at all, this is likely as simple as I'd run a botanical style aquarium. 
maybe an auto top off because I'm into keeping the water level constant, but that's about it. Simple. In a botanical style aquarium run, you know, in this manner, you'd have to do, you'd have some challenges, of course. You need to stock carefully. You need to be sure not to overstock your aquarium with fishes or botanicals, at least not at once and not while up and running. We've already talked about the perils of going too fast too soon. Going slowly and patiently is a long-known key to success with botanical-style aquariums, as it is with others. Now, look, nothing's perfect. And simplicity of operation is not a metaphor for ignorant and abandonment, uh, or, or ignorance and abandonment of husbandry, I should say. Nothing I can tell you here is an absolute guarantee of perfect results. You know, you're dealing with natural materials, live animals, and tons of variables. The results you'll see are governed by natural processes that... We can only impact to a certain extent by applying logic and common sense, and sometimes by backing off. One of the most obvious applications of common sense is the way we add botanical materials to our tank. I'm going to talk about this one more time because it comes up a lot. When it comes to adding your botanicals to your aquarium, the, the second tier of this process is to add them to your aquarium slowly. Like, don't add everything all at once, particularly to an established, stable aquarium. Think of botanicals as bio-load, which requires your bacterial, fungal, microcrustacean population to handle them. Bacteria in particular are your first line of defense. We've talked about this a lot, right? If you add a large quantity of any organic materials to an established system, you'll simply overwhelm the existing beneficial bacteria population in the aquarium, which will likely result in a massive increase in ammonia, maybe nitrite, and definitely organic pollutants. At the very least, it's going to leave oxygen levels depleted and fish is possibly gasping at the surface as the bacterial population struggles to catch up to the large influx of materials. This is not some sort of, you know, esoteric concept, right? We know this or we should know about this from other aquarium work. I mean, we don't add, you know, 25 three inch fishes at once to an established and stable 10 gallon aquarium and not expect some sort of negative consequence, right? So why would adding a bunch of leaves, botanicals, seed pods or whatever containing organics be any different? It wouldn't be. Common sense is your friend. And then there's that whole idea of botanicals themselves functioning as the filter of the system, specifically in the botanical or leaf litter beds. I've had a lot of conversations with some more scientific-minded aquarists over the years who postulate about the possibilities of fostering some form of denitrification in botanical beds. And it's interesting. One of the questions that seems to come up a lot in this context is the extent to which hydrogen sulfide or other you know, undesirable compounds can build up in a deep bed of compacted botanical materials. And quite frankly, in a botanical bed with materials placed on the substrate or loosely mixed into the top layers, will it all pack down tight enough to the point where there's complete lack of oxygen and we develop a significant amount of hydrogen sulfide or other nasty compounds in our tanks? I don't think so. I think that we're more likely to see some oxygen in this layer of materials, and I can't help but speculate that actual denitrification, i.e. nitrate reduction, which lowers nitrates while producing free nitrogen, might actually occur in a deep botanical bed. It's certainly possible to have denitrification without dangerous hydrogen sulfide levels, as long as even very small amounts of oxygen and nitrate can penetrate into the substrate, this won't become an issue for most systems. I have yet to see a botanical style aquarium where the botanical materials become so compacted as to appear to have no circulation whatsoever within the botanical layer and see this nastiness. Now, I base this on visual inspection of numerous tanks over the years, the basic chemical tests I've run on my systems under a variety of circumstances, 
and just good old, you know, practical knowledge. Now, it could still be wrong. There's still so much we don't know about running our botanical style aquariums in a variety of formats. The one thing that we do know is that they require us to make certain mental shifts. And managing a botanical style aquarium is at its most, you know, at its most simple state requires discipline. Yeah, it is cool to toss in all the leaves and seed pods and soil and stuff and allow them to break down in an aquarium, but that doesn't lead to an easy path to success for some people. It's reproducible, but only to those who practice more careful, consistent husbandry observation and possess or acquire some patience. Only to those who put their faith in nature and her smallest organisms, you know, bacteria, fungal growth, and biofilms. Kind of funny, like, it, it almost reminds me of that, that Amano saying, I'm going to butcher it, so I'm not going to try, but it was something like, to appreciate nature is to like love her smallest organisms. I'm thinking he was referring to bacteria, not just fish, but I could be wrong. <laughs> and you're like, shit, he's talking about mental shifts again. Well, yeah, because they're so damn important to embrace, especially if you want to keep things simple. Remember, this is not an aquascaping style. It's a methodology, an approach to running a more natural aquarium. It requires you to understand some natural processes and how they impact your little closed ecosystem. There's plenty of resources to learn about this stuff in the aquarium world. So while it seems like it would be nothing but fun to embrace the ultra simplicity of a minimally equipped botanical style aquarium, it's important to remember that you know experimentation on simple systems still requires us to engage with and at least attempt to understand some complex ideas. Complex ideas run seemingly simple natural ecosystems too. We can return to simplicity even when trying to recreate some of nature's most elegant and complex habitats in our aquariums. That's the, the beauty of this thing. And of course, as we've mentioned many, many times before, one of the things you, know, you notice in all those images and videos of underwater habitats is that they're usually anything but simple and squeaky clean. They're filled with, you know, not filled with ultra white sand and organized groups of plants like we might imagine them in our tanks. Rather, they're often sediment filled, covered with stringy fungal growths, biofilms, and even a spot or two of algae. Plants, if they're present at all, are scattered where they'd find proper conditions. There's a fair amount of detritus accumulating in the substrate materials. And as we've discussed relentlessly, detritus is not the enemy that we've made it out to be. Rather, it's a source of food for many aquatic animals, hope, you know, helping to literally power the ecosystem in which they're present. This is something we can and should absolutely replicate in our systems. Don't be afraid of those fungal growths, biofilm sediments, and even detritus accumulating on top of your leaves and botanicals. It's exactly what you see in nature, and our fishes are ecologically adapted to these kinds of habitats. And of course, the whole idea of a rich sediment and sand and soil filled substrate, and, you know, enriched with decomposing botanical materials is completely in line with the sort of best practices that we've developed as a community to recreate dynamic botanical, you know, botanical style environments. In our case, I believe that not only will there be an abundance of, I don't know, trace elements and essential nutrients that are present in this type of a substrate, uh, there'll be the addition of tannins and humic substances, which are documented to provide many known benefits for fishes as well. I mean, this is stuff we've talked about a million times over the years. And again, it's it's important to allow nature to plot the course. And this is hard. This is contradictory to over a century of aquarium keeping methodology. You, the aquarist, you know, who is like ever keen on anything that occurs in your tank will notice and often perform subtle or not so subtle interventions to counteract these processes you know, less than your tank descended to some kind of total chaos. Yet isn't chaos a sort of a human-ascribed thing? 
I mean, we're talking about changes in the aquatic and you know habitat, which evolved the look and perhaps the biological operating system of the aquarium. This is absolutely analogous to what happens in natural aquatic system. Stuff breaks down, different types of organisms flourish and reproduce as a result. Nothing goes to waste in nature, and that includes the nature which is found in our aquariums too. If we allow it to happen, allow it to happen, it's entirely possible, in my humble opinion, boy, I said that a lot, don't, don't, don't I lately, it's entirely possible that we as aquarists actually sabotage the essential natural processes which help our tanks run when we attempt to intervene through all this excessive maintenance. Perhaps a sort of semi-hands-off approach, passive management, if you will, is not always a bad thing. And allowing nature to work unimpeded as she has for eons is always a pretty good approach. It's the ultimate form of simplicity. Something to think about today. So stay thoughtful, stay curious, stay dedicated, stay observant, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.